This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Send me Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here, and welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Glad to have you along this beautiful, sunshiny day here in Phoenix, Arizona. And before I introduce our guest, a couple of quick announcements. May 5th through the 7th, I'll be in Italy, the north side, leading a men's retreat there. May 13th, I'll be in Vienna, Austria, leading an all-day conference on that Saturday. May 20th, we'll be in Finland for several speaking engagements. And then May 27th, I'll be back to the U.K., in Frimley Green, which is a little southeast of London, holding an all-day conference on that Saturday. <clears throat> and then June 3rd, holding another conference, all-day conference in North Wales. So for our listeners there in the UK and Europe, love to see you. Go to the website at blazinggrace.org. There's an events calendar on the homepage. And so today I have back with me at the program... Mrs. Laura Graber from Jamesport, Missouri. Laura, my friend, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's an honor. Thanks for coming on. And so Laura's going to be with us the next two weeks. And today we'll be talking about some sexual abuse issues she encountered growing up in her family. And then next week, uh, what she's been through with porn addiction in her marriage, and, and a common thread that can run through both of those scenarios is anxiety and fear. So along the way, we'll be picking that conversation up and, and looking at what recovery looks like. So let's begin, Laura, and go ahead and begin by sharing um, what you went through growing up. Sure, absolutely. So I grew up in a Anabaptist Amish home. Um so, you know, a lot of people have, have their opinion of how they think the Amish are, <laughs> who they are, and how they live their lives. Um, granted, my home that I grew up in was, was an exception. Um, thankfully, there's not many of them in the culture. Um, but my father was an alcoholic, and with that came lots of anger and rage and, you know, all the aspects of that. And as I grew up, there became more and more sexual impurities in his life, became more evident um, until it got to the point where he definitely was sexually abusing us um, through a lot of different forms. Um, for a long time in my life, I was able to ignore it and not, you know, call it for what it was because it didn't seem like that big of a deal, um, which is a lot of times what 
sexual impurities and sexual sin, um, you can lie to yourself for a while, believing that it's not as bad as you perceive it to be. Um, but uh, so obviously, growing up with a father that you know was an alcoholic and and angry, there was lots of tension in our home. Um, my parents would fight a lot and argue a lot, and um, just always being tense, never knowing. Um, when something would tip him off and he would thank you, per se, um, but it was much more than disappointing you. It was um, a way for him to unleash his anger, um, you know, using a whip or, you know, whatever he had close to his hands to use. Um, so a large part of my childhood was spent, like, just living in constant fear. Um, I remember bumping his chair one Sunday afternoon um, as a little kid when he was taking a nap and getting a beating because I bumped his chair. Um, mm. You know, just instances that were completely crazy, you know. Um, yeah, sometimes he would come to the table um, and I'd have to sit beside him because um, that's how we sat at the table in that row. And um, he would be angry and be looking for an excuse, you know, someone to take his anger out on him. It was so nerve-wracking trying to eat. Um, you know, just fear, just complete fear. Um, so obviously as I got older, you know, between the age of eight, nine, ten years old, um, I started becoming aware that I can't necessarily pinpoint like what happened that I knew to never be alone with him. But I was always very aware at a young age, um, you know, if he was in the house and there's no one else in the house, like don't be in the house with him. Um yeah, I just, I, I spent a large part of my life just not being in the same place as him alone. So by the age of eight, nine years old, um, he would make me uncomfortable with, with staring at me. Um, and that led to, you know, occasionally he would, you know, try to touch me as I walked past him or um, depending on where you sat or what you were wearing, he would be staring at you. Um, he would write vulgar things on you know, papers and leave them laying around or, um, you know, if I was to, if he was out in the shop and, and I was out there too, he'd be sitting there, you know, looking at, um, like magazines that were full of, you know, porn, literally. Um, right in front of his daughter. Things, yes. Yes. I mean, he would sometimes try to hide the cover. Um, but I knew they came in the mail and, you know, we knew that's what he had in his hands. You know, if he'd walk behind him, you'd you'd see what he had. Um, so it was just, like, slowly but surely it kept getting worse. And I was very naive. Like, no one, like, my mom would have never talked to me about sexual things, you know, growing up. So for me, it was, it was all foreign. It was disturbing to me, like, disgusting to me. Like, I knew it wasn't right. And yet I had no one to explain to me, like, that this is wrong. <laughs> so it was kind of, yeah, a lot of confusion mixed in with that. But it kept on going throughout my teenage years. Um, you know, like if in the morning, if you would hear that you're awake and you would all of a sudden, you know, open the bedroom door um, in hopes to catch you changing, or if you were showering, the, the lock on the door didn't work very well, um, which I'd say was probably done on purpose. Um, and he would, you know, open the door and pretend he didn't know you were in there. Um, it got to the point where um, us younger girls would, you know, one of us were showering, the other one would be hanging around the bathroom door um, or be inside the bathroom um, just so he didn't try those things. Um, he would 
by the time I was like 13, 14 years old, he was like in the living room evenings. He would sit on his recliner in front of everyone and be masturbating or something. Um, he just, yeah, lots of very disturbing things. Um, in front of the whole a lot family? Of disturbing things. Yes, yes. Wow. I mean, obviously, I had older brothers, and if they were around, he never acted out in front of them as much. He definitely hid it from them because there was a time when um, some of us younger girls started speaking up a bit and my brothers were just kind of like, what? You know, like they didn't know this stuff was happening. Um, so I think he hid it more from them than what I realized, you know, at the time. Um, but yeah, like my mom would be sitting there sometimes. So us girls would just, I, I spent, I remember spending quite a bit of evenings in the bedroom until he went to bed. He'd go to bed fairly early, you know, 8.30, 8, something like that. Um, and then coming out in the living room and hanging out with mom after he went to the bedroom. So, yeah, that was just reality. And I somewhat knew that other dads maybe weren't like that, but it just about felt too much for your brain to even process that, that this isn't completely normal because then I would have had to admit that this is wrong and there's something wrong. And that felt terrifying to me. Um, yeah, I would have much rather just try to live in an alternative reality and not face um, the actual effect that all of that was having on me at the time. Mm. So, yeah, he was very a vulgar person. I mean, he, he would tell me that I was made to satisfy the other half of the population. Oh, that would, that would make me very, very angry, <laughs> obviously. Um, but yeah, those things kind of all continued until my parents separated when I was 16 years old. Um, and yeah, so obviously that released me from having to live in the same house as him. Um, the last year before they separated, I would be home a lot alone with him and my mom. And that last year, was it was awful. It was completely awful. Um, I know there wasn't other people around on the weekends a lot to distract him. And yeah. There was just a lot that happened that sometimes I, I wonder if I even gather, you know, mentally today, um, years later, you know, what all took place. But, yeah. So that obviously left me with a lot of, um, like, the mindset of, like, anything sexual is disturbing and disgusting and, um, like, even viewing men in general in a, in a very ungodly way. Um, just like being disgusted by males in general, um, which in a sense, like God used for good because I, <laughs> I didn't have a lot of boy drama in my life <laughs> mm. as a teenager. Um, so that was, that was a, a little positive in the whole aspect. But yeah. Kind of a small glimpse of, of my childhood growing up. How many kids in your family? <clears throat> there was nine of us. And I was the youngest. Hmm. How many boys? How many girls? There was five boys and four girls. Actually, I, I said that exactly opposite. Four girls, five girls and four boys. And your brothers had no idea that a chunk of this was there going was, on? There was things that they did know. I mean, they were aware of, like, the magazines he got in the mail. They were aware of different things because, you know, after he was done with the magazines, he would lay them in on my older brother's bed, um, you know, gave them to the boys. So he was very, um, like, entitled 
you know, as a male, that was just what males did. Mm. This is who they were. So my brothers, you know, he he tremendously impacted their, their purity at a young age. And they knew some of the things, but a lot of the things that he did toward us younger girls, we just didn't talk about, not even really that much to other, nor to my mom. It was kind of something that you just didn't want to talk about because um, it was hard. And subjects like that in the Amish culture, you don't hear anyone talking about sexual things. Um, they're just like a, yeah, a silent subject especially in the community that I grew up in that era. Um, you, you didn't get taught any of that in school. You know, there was no sex ed classes in school. Um, so there was just a lot of silence on the subject. Um, so I remember, you know, several years after my parents had separated, I was talking to one of my brothers and sharing about the showering, and he, he was just horrified. He was like, you know, he remembers... Um, me asking him if he could hang out in the hallway while while he's shower while I'm showering and he remembered just like being like, Okay, what's wrong with her? You know, she's she's acting strange, you know. Um, but he did and, and he would do that for me if I asked him, but I guess I always just assumed he knew why I was asking him <laughs> and he didn't. That's just how less we talked about it at the time. Now today, um and even even like you know, by the time I was 17, 18 years old, all of that stuff was definitely discussed and, and very openly talked about. But at the time, it was just a silent subject. Mm. Yeah. Well, a lot of people, myself included, have or had a perception of the Amish community of being peaceful. They're living life the way it should be. There's wonderful families and communities. And so our listeners know I've been to Jamesport where Laura lives, and you guys have kind of educated me that that's not quite the situation. So is there a lot of sexual abuse, immorality in the Amish community? There is. There definitely is. And it, and it greatly saddens me because of how that subject is not discussed. It's not taught. It's not addressed. Um there's, you know, a lot of young kids, you know, things happen between kids and adults view it as, oh, it's just kids doing things. Um, and that's not just kids doing things, you know. Um, I don't know as far as like the ratio of, you know, the difference between the Amish culture and the so-called English culture. Mm. <laughs> you know, that if you do statistically the difference between the two, but I would say in the Amish culture, there is more from my personal opinion for the mere fact that A, it says hidden. Um, few people bring it to the light, talk about it, actually find healing. Um, and it's like the Amish community is a really close-knit community, so if one person finds it out, like everyone knows a large, a large part of the time, so it's something that a lot of shame and fear and just complete care is associated with. So you don't want anyone to know about it. Um, so it's better just stay silent and shove it to the back of your mind and forget that it exists. Mm. Um, so that's definitely like a lot of times when like instances do come up um, that you catch, you know, little snippets here or there that, you know, something may not be quite right or something may have happened, but you never know, like, full details, or people don't just openly talk about it or share, you know, that, hey, I was sexually abused, and this happened, and this is how I found healing. Those conversations would not be a part of 
the life in an Amish community in Jamesport where I live. Mm. Um, it's more of a, yeah, definitely a very shameful thing that hidden, um, scraped under the rug, you know, covered it up. Well, the official numbers are that one out of every four women have been abused or molested and one out of every six men have been abused. Okay. But those, those are the official numbers. That doesn't even include all those that haven't even reported it. So the real numbers are probably exactly. much higher. <clears throat> so was your family going to church when all this was going on? Oh, yes, yes. We were in church every Sunday that there was church. Um, my dad was actually looked up as a respected person of the community at one point a lot. I think as the years went by, more people, he might have happened to show his anger at the wrong time, and more people got to know that there was definitely maybe some issues, you know, happening in the background. But... um there was, like, when we left, um, when my mom and dad separated, we actually, my dad left for work, and my mom and my brother, me and my sister, we just loaded up in the car and left and left him a note. Um, that's how we separated, because that's, we, we just left. Um, and at that point, you know, I think a lot of people were shocked, and still today there's people in the community that they don't know the full story, you know, they don't know what all happened, and they would still view us as being wrong for having just left. Um, because my dad was, I mean, in public, he was a jolly person. He was funny. You know, still today, I hear comments, you know, oh, you know, his laugh, or they so enjoyed talking with my dad, or something my dad said, or, you know, whatever. And there's still a lot of people today that would not, um, yeah, would not know the real Jake as I knew him growing up. Mm. And part of the reason on this program I have people who come on and share stories of being molested like you've been willing to do, Laura, is because a lot of this gets repressed in the family system and and then people grow up thinking, I'm the only one that's gone through this and it's far from the truth. Yeah. So how did yeah. you unwind the idea that uh, men are basically scumbag perverts? Um, <laughs> that, that's a big question, Mike. Do you have a couple hours? <laughs> um, first of all, my brothers were pivotal in in that. I mean, obviously, God was in the background, um, you know, orchestrating all of this. But my brothers played a huge part um, because they treated me differently than from what my dad did. Um, they cared about me. They were, you know, never sexually me in any form. They um, advocated for me, did things for me. They loved me. They looked out for me. Um, they, you know, were there. They were vibrant in my life, and I could trust them completely. So that was huge. In, um, and, like, to hear, like, they might be hanging out with guy friends or they might be hanging out with people. Like, if they were comfortable with them, I was comfortable with them a lot of times. Like, who they liked, I liked, because I knew that they they had grown up with the same dad as I did. Um, so that that was huge for me. Um, definitely my brothers impacting me. And also, you know, as I became a Christian in later years, recognizing that there are a lot of men out there who have a heart for God. And, you know, as I started started sharing my story little bits here and there, you know, I barely wouldn't say much, you know, because I'd still be scared. 
Um, but people's reaction, like men's reaction to saying like, wow, like that is so wrong or, you know, like that's awful. Um, and recognizing like, oh, they, they would think it's wrong to do this. You know, they, they wouldn't think that's okay. You know, that's just how males are. Um, so that, those are probably the two biggest aspects of, yeah, my brothers and then like hearing other males react to parts of my story, Mm. um, was huge. So when I first met you was in 2018 when I led a wise retreat in Colorado. So it was you and seven or eight other women. So I'm wondering what was going through your mind when you're going to a wise retreat that a man is leading with your background. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I definitely, I was, most of the reason why I went to the retreat was because I needed to get away from my husband. I was losing my mind, it felt like. And I was just desperate to get away. And my friend invited me, and I was like, hey, let's go. Who cares? But when I showed up there and I met you, and I realized, like, whoa, like I'm spending the weekend at a retreat that's been led by this male. And and it was, yeah, there was thoughts in my mind, definitely, of, like, who are you? Like, why would you do this, you know? Yeah, what type of person are you? Um, and then that that first evening, you were we were broke up in groups to share our story, and you just happened to be in my group, and you shared your story, and that yeah, that instantly I through hearing your perception and seeing your love for for purity and and calling things out for what they were to be wrong. Um, you know, speaking the truth over subjects, not just brushing them under the rug or um, making them sound better than what they were. Yeah, you gained a lot of respect for me that first evening and mm. has continued to grow in that. Well, we've got several minutes left, and so I'm wondering what your healing journey, if can you give us a point or two on what that has looked like, because there was a lot of damage to recover from. There was a lot and a lot of different areas, you know, um, a lot of small things that I even today, sometimes something strikes me and I'm like, wow, like, yeah, I didn't recognize that till today. <laughs> um, probably the biggest, obviously the biggest thing was um, becoming a Christian and, and having God, like the Holy Spirit to walk me through those things. And I did a lot of counseling, have done a lot of counseling um, and my siblings, my siblings have been pivotal in my life. Um, and like we can sit together and we can talk openly and honestly about our childhood and, and connect and like just talk about the hard stuff, you know, the disturbing stuff that's really hard to talk to other people about openly. Um, we, we do that with each other. We're not afraid to go there and to talk. We can talk about anything. Um, and that has been majorly healing to have people who understand um, what it was like, and being able to just share and and talk and not not people freaking out about what all happened. Mm. Um, yeah. And at what age did you become a believer? I was 20 years old when I first, um, yeah, I happened to go to church, which was kind of a crazy thing because I hadn't been in church for a long time, um, because all of this really I was really bitter toward God. Mm. Um, I was, I just had the mindset of there is a God and he would allow me to live like this, you know, for close to 17 years. And then I don't want anything to do with him. You know, if he, yeah, 
Mm. You know, people would tell me, you know, God's good, or, you know, I would hear things like that, and I'd be like, yeah, whatever. I would I would mock Christians and mock people who believed in him, because to me it was like, how, how could he turn a blind eye um, while we suffered all those years? I mean, just day after day of complete agony and darkness and just horribleness. I mean, just complete terror and fear, and yeah, it was mm. awful. Well, my friends, we're going to continue this conversation with Laura next week. So I want to encourage you to join us. And Laura, thank you so much for your honesty and transparency. And I look forward to seeing you next time. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.